With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris. It's been a minute, uh, we uh, we did a, a crossover episode with our friends at Apato recently, and uh, so Chris, you and I have not sat and talked about Mets baseball in some time, so uh, welcome back, and how are you feeling about the Mets on December 2nd, 2020? Uh, pretty good at the moment, <laughs> it's... I guess yeah. The last time we talked, has it been since just before Cohen was actually approved as the owner? Oh, I think I think it might have been. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, Which feels like a year ago, but it was only a, <laughs> only a few weeks. Yeah, um, I, I'm gonna look this up while we do this now. But I mean, it has it has been a while. I, I I don't know if we talked about that first Cohen presser together or not. Um, no, I think that was the. Uh, the chat with the poto was right after that. I don't. I don't think we did. If we did, and we're repeating ourselves, sorry everybody. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> I. I don't think we did. Uh, between that and then, I know we certainly haven't had an episode since Cohen um, went on SNY and had the interview with Steve Gelbs, where they spliced it up and forced people to watch studio stuff in between the thing that they actually wanted to watch. Um, <laughs> But you know Cohen revealing that he owns the uh, the ball that uh, Mookie Wilson hit through Bill Buckner's legs, that he bought at auction for an insane amount of money. 
uh, a few years ago, and nobody ever knew it was him until then. We haven't talked since that. And yeah, that, that was a cool moment. And I think to come from like a, I, I always, it's been like a decade, a little more than a decade of like the worst of the Wilpons because from, you know, from when they became sole owners of the team to 2006, seven, eight, that wasn't that bad. There were a couple of really bad teams in there. And then there were three very good teams um, that came up short. Uh, and I, I guess the bad ending, I don't know, for some Mets fans might sit a little bit worse. But I do appreciate that the Mets were very good for three years uh, in that span. And sort of tease being good in 2005. So it's it's really the like 2010 on era of the Wilpons that, that has the most sour taste for me. <laughs> Uh, and and the fact that they were just so inaccessible in any form to to switch over to this owner who seems to be pretty good at this, just talking and being a mess fan, and I don't know how available he's going to be on an ongoing basis, but just for the first two public appearances, it's been like, oh, okay, this guy can handle himself and and speak to fans in a way that. Uh, I think they like. Yeah. Um, we last spoke on October 21st, by the way. Holy shit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, it has been a while. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, we've talked in the past about how, you know, it, it, it's you're very rarely going to find a billionaire with a heart of gold. But Cohen's passing the, the early tests pretty well. I recognize this is a finely crafted media persona. I also realize that we had the Wilpons before this, so the bar is incredibly low for all of this. But, I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that there are too many Mets fans out there who, if they had the amount of money that Cohen had, wouldn't want to have the ball that Mookie Wilson hit through Buckner's legs, right? That's just a very, like... It's a very fan move, and I feel like a lot of a lot of the stuff he talks about just seems to be that he is, you know, he's a fan. I don't even think he's particularly a smart fan. I don't mean that to insult him, but I mean like, I I don't think he's um. I don't think he's trying to play cool about anything. Like he likes the black jerseys. If he was a hipster, he would never be pro black jerseys. Um, <laughs> yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like he just yeah. seems like he's very authentic in his fandom and that's amazing that's great um i actually didn't watch the gelbs interview with him i i was getting my updates close enough you know via twitter that i didn't need to necessarily sit and watch the whole thing because sny programming just keeps getting worse and worse and i knew there'd be a fair amount of andy martino or 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 the like that i had to sit there and i just didn't feel like sitting through that but you know cohen on twitter has been great as well just you know being very honest with fans and interacting with them and it's just it, it's been a nice it, it's been a nice few weeks of of Cohen happiness however that happiness has started to be challenged a bit because people seem to be quite upset that he has not yet hired a general manager there are a lot of reasons for this um some are saying that Sandy Alderson essentially acting as the head of baseball ops means that he's going to be running the show this year. And so 
top people don't want to be basically the second in command. They want to be in charge. And so that's why you're not seeing the Theo Epsteins of the world, for instance, interviewing with the Mets. But there are plenty of people who I think probably have enough experience to meet Cohen's demands. You know, Cohen said he doesn't want people learning on his dime. That's one of the first things he said in his in his presser. Uh, but there are probably enough people out there that have some sort of experience that could fit that role, and they're not hiring anybody. To me, that means they're maybe being thorough. Maybe it means they, they're looking for something specific that isn't out there yet. But, you know, leave it to, again, a Sandy Alderson phrase, Panic City, to really get up in arms about this. Do you think it's a big deal that the Mets don't have a GM yet? No, I mean, it's not something that had really been keeping me up at night. <laughs> and and uh, obviously it would be ideal if they had a front office in place from the you know day the offseason started. But given the reality that they're in, that Cohen completes the purchase of the team, but they just don't decide the major league baseball that is doesn't convene the owners to have that vote to make it official uh, until a few days after the season ended uh, maybe even just two or three days, but, but whatever it was that delay uh, I think is significant just because we know he had tapped Alderson for the role of team president uh, and sort of had that as a, you know, something to show where he might take the franchise before everything became official. But I, I don't know how much you can get access to guys and, and get them to be comfortable with saying, okay, yeah, I'm going to come work for the new Mets front office before you get to the point that they officially take over and clean house and, and say, you know, goodbye to Van Wagenen, Omar Manaya, and, and, you know, a few other folks there in the front office. So, um, I would prefer that they had more in the front office than they do at the moment, but I care far more about what happens with players, uh, whether they're free agents or on the trade market or guys who are non-tendered who we'll get to in a little bit, but I don't know. Uh, there's not... I don't have any like wish list uh, in a year if Theo Epstein became an, uh, a member of the Mets organization, great. But I don't know. I'm just not in love with anybody uh, on the front office side. So as long as they're capable of operating uh, and the players that they want are not slipping away because it's Alderson and the staff, but not GM and uh, maybe some of those other high-ranking front office positions that you would see. Uh, I'm, I'm not too concerned about it. I would hope that they'll make a hire sometime in the near future just because that would be – it would be nice to just have it in the books. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. If, it, if it's just Alderson this winter with a real budget – and presumably a defined budget, which is something that was lacking. Uh, funds were lacking, but but also 
knowledge of what those funds were was lacking when Alderson was operating under the will ponds. And uh, just as a quick aside, hopefully there aren't too many more episodes where we mention their names. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I mean, it's, oh my, <laughs> Steve Cohen just tweeted, who was the most interesting player non-tendered and why? <laughs> Crowdsourcing. We, we pause my train of thought so I can retweet this on the Amazing Avenue account. You should you should also tweet at him to listen to our show tomorrow and find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? <laughs> yeah, he's online enough. He is online enough. Yes. <laughs> I take back everything bad I said, Steve, because <laughs> you're now a listener. <laughs> um, uh, Rich tweeted at him. My wife non tendered me. <laughs> of course he did. Sorry, everybody. This this is getting derailed by. <laughs> Mets Twitter in a good way. Yes, yes. I mean, just think about the the fun we're having with this right now. This is totally foreign to a Mets fan. Yeah, yeah, it is. All right. Anyway, so yeah. um, <laughs> front office not a big deal. I'm I'm confident in Alderson's ability to to especially because I feel like this off season they're not going to be trading. As much as they might in other off seasons, I, I think you're just going to see a lot more free agent signings, and that to me requires far less nuance than than trades do. I also think yeah. you, I also think you may see the the GM come from the A's, and uh, I wonder if they wanted to put some space between Alderson and except in this position and then poaching somebody from his former employer. Not just have it look like, you know, as soon as Alderson came over, he's poaching someone from the A's. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's something that, uh, the writers around the team like to mock during Alderson's first, uh, first time around, at least early on that there was, always, if there's any connection I guess that it became sort of a a thing that I just was tired of when people were complaining about CAA and uh, Van Wagenen. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I'm not saying that they were entirely right or wrong, but I, I sort of had fatigue from <laughs> from the Alderson era, and you you know see or hear or read these things about oh. Padres connection, A's connection, um, and then it, like I think that got played up so much because it was like, oh, he's he's going to try to run the Mets like the A's, but under under that budget, it, uh, who you know, it was a totally different scenario, right? But it was just sort of this lazy comparison, and it, the real blame was above him in the organization for the way the team was run, not. You know, not not with what he did, uh, with the job that he was was in at the time. So, yeah. But yeah, I'm sure there's somebody who'd be glad to take the role because, uh, as Alderson has alluded to in his um, public appearances so far, it, that person could very well be elevated to president of baseball operations in the near future. Right. Um. 
And I, I, I think even if that title is uh, effectively Alderson's this year, I, I don't think he necessarily signed up for this phase of his Mets career to, uh, to be that hands-on. I also wonder, and I know I bring him up all the time because of our hometown connection, but I wonder if John Ricco is going to eventually be the one who gets this job. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm curious after they shifted him over. Uh, I know right now they're saying he's staying in, in the role that he was moved to uh, or, or one that's sort of that hybrid role that Alderson was brought in for to oversee business and baseball operations of the team. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how that plays out. I know that when he was working for Major League Baseball, he being um Rico, that he did a lot with sort of the um with the business side of baseball. So maybe he doesn't want to be GM. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that's uh that's enough about the front office right now because we don't know too much about there yet. What we do know is that the Mets tendered Steven Matz a contract, which was something that we were not sure about even just an hour and a half ago. Um, You know, Matz was a a train wreck last year. I mean, absolutely one of the worst pitchers in baseball by a lot of metrics. And certainly if you just watched him, he looked off. He did not look like the Matz that we had been promised. And, you know, Matt's career has, has been a lot of starts and stops. He's never really had a sustained level of success after his rookie year. There have been good starts and bad starts. There's been good stretches followed by terrible stretches. You know, and he's somebody who cannot seemingly shake off a bad appearance. You know, when he's in the middle of it, you just you can see him. His his body language changes. He's screaming. His his shoulders sloop. You know he's just a uh, he's just a shell of of who. He, as soon as he starts to lose control, he just becomes a shell of who he is able to be. And I think I would not have been surprised if the Mets decided. You know what? There's probably a lot of people out there who have a uh, who have a fair amount of um, talent, either. Similar to or perhaps above uh, what what Matt's has on the free agent market and now on the non-tender market, which we'll talk about in just a minute, which is, I guess, also the free agent market. Dumbass, but you, you know what I mean. Um, and so I, I'm, I don't think any of us would have been shocked if he was not tendered a contract, but he was. And it's, you know, it, it's modest. It's 5.1 or 5.2 million, depending on the, the source that you're getting that from. And, you know. If Matt's can be a number five starter for five million dollars, that's that's a good deal. If Matt's looks like he does last year, I think that's a low enough salary that you can cut bait without even blinking an eye. You know, if if two starts in, he's just lost. Cut him. You know, you can do that now. Now that the Wilpons are not pitching pennies, and not and now that I think this is probably. Everyone probably understands this is Matt's last chance at um, at success. Do you kind of see it the same way? Yeah, and uh, honestly, um, I was kind of hoping he would be non-tendered, not because I care. Yeah, Steve Cohen's money doesn't affect me at all, uh, other than potentially bringing happiness through the form of the Mets. <laughs> 
But if they, uh, you know, if they retain him going into the season and they end up in that spot that they just say, you know what, this didn't work. You know, we're going to DFA him. Uh, I, I don't care about those $5 million. Um, it, it, the only thing is, it's just a little concerning that it could get tempting to see him as a member of the rotation, which in 2018 and 19 he was. And, and I mean, he was frustrating in those seasons too. Uh, he was just a lot better. Uh, in this very short season, he was terrible and frustrating, uh, which is a bad combination. But I know when you look at what he's done over the last three years, it's not that hard to look and say, hey, his velocity didn't fall off a cliff. Um, he was solid, if a little uh, less than ideal, but still solid in those two full seasons that preceded this one. It might not be that hard to talk yourself into him being in the starting rotation, but it just can't be part of plan A as the Mets go into 2021. Uh, And I I hope that was clear. Uh, You know, Mats didn't have the ability to say, I I want something guaranteed or I'm out. He doesn't have that option to leave. You know, the Mets retain control over him whether he likes it or not um but i do hope that there is some understanding that hey look uh we know what you've done in the past and we're going to get into spring training whatever that looks like uh and you're going to be in the mix but we can't guarantee anything going into the start of the season because i i don't know what steven matz is like um when it comes to approaching his baseball career and he's not on the mound. So what we see while he's out there, I don't, I don't know if that's the same person uh, who, you know, approaches his career that way when he's not in the mode of actively competing. But if there's any similarity between the two, uh, and we know he had made comments that he wasn't crazy about any kind of bullpen role I, I just I hope it's clear and it's not a source of conflict or drama that hey look we're going to see what what things look like see how everything shakes out and uh, if it looks like we're not going to include you in the rotation we'll you know we'll cut you in spring training and you'll have an opportunity to go elsewhere Um I hope it's that, and I hope it's not uh, a month from now. We're talking about, okay, DeGrom, Stroman, uh, eventually at some point next year, Syndergaard, sure, that's a very exciting one, two, and probable three. Uh, if Syndergaard comes back on a, on a normal timeline from Tommy John, but I wouldn't want it to be Matt's Peterson and just fill in the gap. You know, they, the Mets absolutely still need to me, at least two starting pitchers. And, uh, did, did I say the Mets or the Mets? <laughs> I don't know what I said, but, um, yeah. So yeah, 
not thrilled about it, but I can get on board with the rational, hey, look, they don't have a lot of starting pitching depth. Um, you could do worse than hoping Steven Matz is not a nine-something ERA guy as your fifth starter. But I hope that going into spring training, he's at least sixth on any logical depth chart. And, you know, that he'd have to uh, really show something impressive to to crack the rotation um, or even crack the bullpen uh, to start the season. I just, I don't know. I, I, the logical part of me is like, don't read too much into 2020 stats. But man, he, he just looked completely bad oh i mean beyond beyond bad just you know i mean just you know he he looked he looked like he was lost 100 percent of the time just yeah it, it was it was tough it was tough but you know what it's um It's 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 always sad to see a guy you had a lot of hope for as a prospect flame out. And if there's anything left in Mats's tank, I would love to see him show that to the Mets. You know, so I, I'm rooting for him. You and I also we should mention met Mats uh, at his charity event last year, and he was quite nice to us. Yeah, so he yeah, just, seems like a good seems like a good guy. You know, and uh, yeah, you you want you want to root for those guys. So I you know I hope I hope that he can put it together. But I also hope that that there's some prudence in in the situations he's he's put into and some swiftness to dealing with the issue you know at various at various points in the process whether that's conversations they have with him now or conversations they're going to have with him you know when the uh when the season starts hello it is Ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they were also playing chumba casino coincidence i think not everybody's loving having fun with it chumba casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere even at thirty thousand feet so sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus that's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus hey guys it is ryan i'm not sure if you know this about me but i'm a bit of a fun fanatic when i can i like to work but i like fun too it's a thing and now the truth is out there i can tell you about my favorite place to have fun chumba casino they have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week you can play for free anytime anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses so join me in the fun sign up now at chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus so before we uh before we move on to um to sort of to the big free agent signing you know there are a number of people who are non-tendered today there are a number of people who um who the Mets did offer contact contracts to. We should mention that Robert Gazelman was a name that was mentioned as possibly being non-tendered. Well, he was offered a contract, as was Guillermo Heredia, as was newly acquired Jacob Barnes. And the rest of the folks that were offered contracts are the folks on the 40-man you would expect to be offered contracts. But the Mets did non-tender four players. They non-tendered uh, Paul Sewald, Chasen Shreve, Ariel Gerardo, and Nick Tropiano. Now, I 
I don't want to read too much into this. I, I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Seawald or Shreve wound up back on the team on a minor league deal. Uh, the, those those type of things do happen, but I, I don't know exactly. I, I don't think this is the year the Mets, hopefully, this isn't the year the Mets go fishing for contracts that for players that way. They have more money to spend. They don't necessarily need to go out and bring it, bring back a Paul Seawald, right? Um do any of those names surprise you or or bug you or, you know, anything like that? Well, I guess Shreve, uh, <clears throat> I, w- I wouldn't say it bugs me. I, I'm fine with it. Um, but it is interesting that somebody like Heredia, an outfielder who, I don't know, I, I can't imagine he's going to. I hope <laughs> anyway that he, he's not going to be the guy who factors in as your fourth or fifth outfielder on an opening day roster. So it's just, it's a little odd that he was retained and, and Shreve wasn't, but I'm also totally fine with um, freeing up some roster spots and seeing what you can do. Uh, Shreve didn't have a long track record of being great. Uh, he's he's had some major league success for sure, uh, but I don't know. Um, not losing any sleep over it. Fine with freeing up the roster spot. If it turns out that he's the best fit to come back, based on what else they do in the bullpen, uh, you know, hey, great. But if not, I don't know. I, I happy to have seen him pitch reasonably well for a, a very short season. Um, and you know you you can move on. Uh, but the other names, Seawald, I I grown a little uh, sick of watching. So that one I'm fine with. <laughs> and then I yeah, Tropiano, I don't really know anything about him. Um. So yeah, all all, all that stuff pales in comparison to Matt's. And with Gazelman, it's. Pretty much the same thing as Matt's, and it, well, as people have pointed out, because Elman has an option remaining, so he definitely isn't guaranteed anything in terms of major league playing time. And I get it; he's he's been a capable major league pitcher, um, although his best work really came in that rookie season when he and Seth Lugo kind of burst onto the scene at the same time out of nowhere and kept the Mets afloat as they got into that wild card game in 2016 but uh yeah yeah nothing uh, nothing to be angry about that's for sure and uh and hopefully the Mets are viewing the guys they retain the same way that we are yeah I mean I also think that the there has to be a little bit of a a hoarding mentality right now with players because while it sounds really great, there's all these free agents and non-tenders out there. The, the Mets have to operate under the idea that they're not going to get everyone they want to get. And so, if you're holding on to Gazelman for a little bit of money, and then you get the you get the players you want, cutting them later is not a huge deal. You know, I, I think there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think like you like you were saying with Mats also and, and with Gazelman, we just have to be realistic about what they can be. And if they're not, we there has to be a quick trigger. There has to be a quick release here. Just, nope, sorry, not working out. Here we go. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 
Um, and then we, we've been looking at this list of non-tenders, and you know, one of the names that was on our list has has now been taken off the list as they were traded at the last minute. And, you know, that's that's the nature of the beast here. But we have identified is it five players? I think we have one, two, three. Yeah, five players that we would be interested in seeing the Mets go after. So, Chris, why don't you pick one and talk about them? Then I'll I'll pick the next guy and vice versa. Sure. Uh, so I'll start with. Uh, I'll stay on brand with the having a close friend and relative who's a Twins fan. So I'll I'll start with Eddie Rosario, who um he's he's been pretty good. Uh, you know, in talking about what he looks like for somebody who watches the Twins on a regular basis, uh, I think the defensive struggles that you see. Uh, in 2019, for instance, he hit 32 home runs, hit 276, 300, which that's not a great on-base percentage, obviously, but slugged 500. Um, honestly, for his full seasons over the last four years, it was his least good overall performance as a hitter. Um, but that combined with his defense – He's at 1.2 war on fan graphs. Um, the year before, he was 3.5. The year before that, he was 2.6, uh, mainly because he had better overall offensive lines uh, in, in those seasons. So I'm not saying he's uh, he's a perfect fit. The Mets, you know, he's not a center fielder. Uh, he's a left-handed hitter, which Brandon Nimmo and Michael Conforto are. So, you know, he's not... Um, He's not an ideal platoon partner. Not that I think either of those players should necessarily be platooned, uh, but if that was something that you were looking to exploit, uh, depending on who the Mets were facing that day. But I'm sort of of the mind that there's no such thing as having too many good baseball players. And, (laughs) you know, he is definitely better than some of the guys who are on the bench right now. So... I don't think he's a likely guy to end up in Queens. I don't know if he's even necessarily my top choice uh, for anybody who's in this position, but I think he is a good player and uh, it it can't hurt to have uh, more of them. So I'm intrigued by Eddie Rosario. Okay. Um, My, the first person I'm going to talk about is somebody who I actually don't want the Mets to necessarily go out, but it's a name that jumped out at me because it's not often that you see a player start four opening days for their team and then get non-tenured. And I don't mean start like at second base. I mean start as the pitcher. And Jose Urania started four consecutive opening days for the Marlins, and he was non-tendered. Now, he is a, a very flawed player, and you know his best season was back in 2018 – uh, when he put up a, a 1.7 WAR according to Fangraphs, which is not, you know, not 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 laying the world on fire, but for a back of the rotation starter, that's not all that terrible. Since then, you know, he did not pitch as much in 2019, and then 2020 is the weird abnormality that 2020 was, and you know, the Marlins feel there's nothing left in the tank, and so they they cut bait on him, and that leads me to believe there probably isn't all that much left because, you know, the team that the team that drafts you brings you up the team you've started four opening days for, you would think if anybody were going to see value in you, 
it would probably be that team that has a lot of investment in you, and they don't see anything left in his in this, his tank, and so they're they're not interested in bringing him back. Um, but I just think when you have the pedigree that Urania had, if if he's going to be had for a minor league contract and, a, and an invitation to spring training, I don't see why you don't go after him. And honestly, I don't know if Urania could get anything more than that right now. I don't think he has a guaranteed major league contract in his in his offseason future. Do you? Mm, yeah, probably not. Not not coming off the way he's not pitched all that much over the last two seasons and pitched relatively ineffectively when he when he did. Um and I I think that could be the case for a lot of these guys. Yeah. And you know, regardless of the fact that I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for the sport, if it is the case, um, the the Mets certainly can present an opportunity to to players who might be in that position, which is, uh, hey, look, there's no guarantee that Sandergaard comes back. <clears throat> Hopefully, we're not treating Stephen Matz like he's the lock for the rotation. David Peterson had a very respectable rookie year in this strange uh, year and baseball season that we we. The year we're still experiencing, but the baseball season's over. Um, but Peterson shouldn't be guaranteed anything either. Uh, you know, you're not competing with DeGrom and Stroman for a rotation spot, but I do think there's some appeal to getting an opportunity to make a rotation uh, or, or even the bullpen and then be an option to join the rotation when that need arises. I think there's some appeal to that, and I don't know. I think I think Mets fans have been so conditioned to expect the team to be the worst version of what it could be. But I do think there's a legitimately good core in place, and that combination, along with uh, Steve Cohen's money, it, it might seem like an appealing place to play. So, yeah, I I hope it plays out that way. Um, I hope the Mets go into spring training and have uh, lots of options. And uh, and yeah, he's uh, like you said, he's not somebody that you'd sign to say, "Hey, look, he's our number three starter." But he's somebody who very reasonably could be better than David Peterson in 2021. And that's not an insult to Peterson at all. It's just absolutely possible. Yeah. Yeah. Who was your next uh, highlighted player? Uh, I guess, uh, not that there's a lot of choices <laughs> on our short <laughs> list here, but Archie Bradley um, stands First of out. All, good baseball name. Yeah, very 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 good um but he's been good he's 28 he won't be 29 until next august um he had a very good year in this short season uh, he really broke out when the diamondbacks made him a reliever and similar to trevor may who we'll we'll talk about a little bit more in a few minutes um once he made that switch he was really good. Uh, 2017 was definitely his best performance, but considering he pitched in Arizona 
Uh, the fact that he went from a 1.73 ERA in 2017 to 3.64 and 3.52 over the two seasons that followed, that's not a terrible thing. It's not, you know, it's not the easiest park to pitch in uh, when that's your home ballpark and you're obviously spend, uh, spending the plurality of your innings in that ballpark. Um, and then he had, he had a nice season this year, albeit in 18 and a third innings. Um, so, yeah, that, that to me is somebody who I think is capable of being almost as good as Trevor May. Um, somebody who can really be a, a middle inning, a higher leverage middle inning to potential setup or closer type of relief pitcher if that need arises. You know, if Edwin Diaz is either ineffective again or if he or anybody else is on the injured list, you know, even for a short while. Uh, Bradley has that kind of experience and that kind of track record. So given his age and, and what he's done, um, it's kind of wild to me that that's not somebody who the Reds would at least hold on to and try to trade. But we saw the Indians put Brad Hand on waivers, and he went unclaimed um, when he w- would have been just due one year and $10 million. So, you know, if the Mets were to go get Bradley and Hand, and then we'll talk about May, um, that's a hell of a lot better of a bullpen than they've had in a long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll talk about David Dahl next. So, you know, he's an outfielder who plays all three positions. Um, you know, the Mets would probably be looking at him primarily as a center fielder, if only because they have so many corner outfielders right now. And Dahl is a is a decent but not great outfielder uh, in terms of his fielding. He's also, you know, a, a decent but not great hitter. You know, if you look at his Zips projection for next season, you're looking at a 278, 334, 516 slash line, 19 home runs, uh, 7.5% walk rate, a 27% strikeout rate. You know, and this is, this is the projection, obviously, but that's not significantly better than Dom Smith, than Michael Conforto, than... Um, Brandon Nimmo, then you know um, Jeff McNeil. You know th- there are there are parts of that that are appealing, you know. Um, but he's, I, I don't think the Mets necessarily need this kind of an outfielder. I think if they're going to go out and get an outfielder, you either go out and get somebody who is a defensive specialist in center field, or somebody who is so offensively strong that you don't care about the sort of middling defense out there. Uh, are you higher on Dahl than I am? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't know if it's the fact that I think I, I believe I caught him in a minor league game or two um, back when he was still in, uh, you know, coming up through the Eastern League in Double A. Uh, he certainly hasn't torn it up in any of his major league seasons, but somebody who has that sort of background um still just 26 uh you know he's he's not somebody who should 
take the place of another player on, on the Mets roster. Uh, and it's kind of nice that players like Conforto and Nimmo and Alonzo and McNeil, um, while they came into the league at different ages, none of them are old by any means. Uh, so I would, I, I would just say that if they brought him in, there's a chance that he really turns a corner in a way that some other guys that are out there, I don't, I don't see that as a possibility quite as much. Uh, but he's not somebody who I would bring in and say, oh, he should play over uh, Nimmo, Conforto, um, and, and maybe some of the other guys too who have been in that outfield mix playing out of position. So, yeah. But still, so somebody whose name who came up that it was just like, oh, okay, that's not something that anybody would have predicted two years ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's to me, it's definitely a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting person. To it's an interesting name on this list, and it's a name that sort of makes you take notice. And also, you know, like you said before about, I think it was about Archie Bradley. Just like you know, it's never bad to have too many good baseball players <laughs> on your team, and so. If you know if he forces you to to switch things up a little bit, then I think that that may not be the worst thing in the world. If it gives some guys some time off, or it allows you then to trade either him or somebody else, you know there there are lots of uh, there, there are lots of options. Just because you sign a guy doesn't mean he's going to be starting in the outfield for you. So, um, yeah, let's um, let's move on to your last guy, Chris, which is which is our, our last guy we're going to talk about. Yeah, so Adam Duvall was non-tendered by the Braves. Um, he excelled for them in the last two years in a limited role after uh, playing for the Giants for a brief stint and then the Reds for several years. And then the Reds traded him to the Braves during the uh, 2018 season. Um, you know, this, this is a guy who I remember more as a Red, even though uh, he's probably played just as much against the Mets in the last two years as he did with the Reds over the course of three and a half seasons. But uh, it, it's kind of funny that, you know, he hit 33 home runs in 2016 and that's, that's good. Uh, you know, similar to um, who was the first player we talked about? Eddie Rosario. Yep. <laughs> it's similar to that kind of high power, lower on base percentage kind of uh, offensive season. But that's not the thing that's exciting. It's it's that in the limited role that he had with the Braves over the last two years, he was significantly better than league average uh, as a hitter overall. Um, I, I can't really speak too much to his defense, but it's some serious pop. And importantly, he's a right-handed bat. And that is something that <clears throat> doesn't concern me too, too much with the Mets, but they are definitely lefty-heavy. Uh, and, and especially in the outfield. So as you play out next season, and, and this is a point that I think applies maybe a little more to the pitching side of things, but a normal baseball season is, is long. And I just don't know that there's any real way to train for it other than by having one. So I, I think next season is going to be a little unique in the sense that let's just assume they play 162 games regardless of 
where the pandemic is and, and whether or not there are fans in the stands in partial or full capacity, let's just assume they play 162 games of baseball. Uh, I think a lot of these guys are going to need a few more days off than we've become accustomed to. So somebody like Duvall uh, is appealing in that you're not necessarily saying to Brandon Nimmo or Michael Conforto that you're you're never going to start a game against a left-handed starter. But if you can be strategic, and, and I know it's hard to take things that you plan for in the offseason and then implement them sometimes when real baseball life comes into play and somebody's nursing a minor injury and all the variables that can go into those decisions. But in an ideal world, I like the idea that if you're going to give guys some rest and try to pace yourselves as you go through what is going to be a different kind of strange season coming off of this one, um, I think a right-handed bat has some appeal. And my guess is that like a lot of these guys, he's not going to make nothing, but is not somebody who's going to require a major commitment to bring on board. The other thing that I thought we'd have an answer to by right now, but we don't, is we don't know if the Mets are going to have a DH this year. Right. And it's, it's ridiculous that that hasn't been resolved. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, and I would think that if there is a DH, then a player like Duvall becomes a lot more interesting, not necessarily because he's going to be DH'd, but if you're using the DH as kind of a rotating uh, you know, spot and a lefty is is on the mound that day. Well, then maybe you. It just gives you it just gives you another position to be to be flexible at. I, I don't I don't need to tell our listeners how the DH works. Um, you know, it's it it, it will certainly make adding an, a bat like Duval to make a little bit more sense to me. Um, but I we were talking before we started recording. I think we all thought this was going to be. I think you called it a bloodbath or a slaughterhouse or something like that uh, yeah. of, of, of players <laughs> just being cut left and right. You know, I think the biggest name out there is Kyle Schwarber that's been cut. I would say he's probably the, the biggest name, even though he has, you know, he has not lived up to his, his past pedigree as of late. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of interesting names here. And I think that combined with the top free agents that are out there, that the Mets appear to be in on, it seems like they are in a good position to improve their team mightily and in a lot of ways. So let's um, let's hope they do that. And on that note, the Mets did improve their team, I would say mightily, earlier this week when they signed Trevor May. Now, you, you, Chris, you were writing or are still writing a piece about the Mets bullpen with May in it. So we're not going to totally spoil that piece, but where do you see May fitting into this team? Right. Now? I so I I want to believe that Edwin Diaz is really good and that 2019 was just a weird blip. Uh and that what he did in 2018 2017, 2016, and 2020 in a short season. I want to believe that's the real guy who who he is. Um, and the fact that the strikeout rate never went away and it was just a weird home run problem. Um, 
I'm somewhat optimistic that could be the case. So if Diaz is your marquee uh, relief pitcher, I think May and, and Lugo are going to kind of slot in as equally good and reliable pitchers. And we'll see how they handle the rest of the bullpen over the next few weeks and, and uh, a couple of months even. Um, but that takes some pressure off. If Jerry's Familia is okay or bad uh hopefully they can not have to use him in big spots and if he's really bad consider parting ways uh with just next year left on his contract um dylan patances did not look good this year at all it takes pressure off those kinds of guys uh and in an ideal world, I mean, uh, even if we're just talking about the guys we talked about from the the non-tender world uh, of baseball players, you can have Familia and Batances as, as potential bonuses that go into the season almost definitely making the uh, the opening day bullpen if they're healthy, but fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth guys on the bullpen depth chart. And then if it turns out they're dominant or just good they can move up I, I i like the luxury of that a lot and it'll become a luxury if they continue to pursue pitchers uh who are good but starting pitchers who fail at that at the major league level but then become good relievers have, have always sort of fascinated me um and and may is one of them and i think when you As seth lugo by the way yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, for the record, I, I totally respect that he would prefer to be a starting pitcher. But I don't know. At, at a certain point, like, I don't think Malcolm Young ever complained about being the rhythm guitarist of ACDC. <laughs> like, you are part of something incredible, and you're really good at that. And there's somebody else here who's better at the other thing. I don't. I have no idea what the dynamic was when when ACDC was was young, uh, and and forming the band. But you know, in that case, his little brother was tearing it up, and he was just on point on rhythm guitar. There's nothing wrong with that. Like if you're if you're awesome at that, embrace it. Uh, you know, uh, far be it for me to say you shouldn't want the job that could be more lucrative in, in the baseball world. But I don't know. Uh, just own that you are awesome as a reliever. I wish I was awesome as a reliever. Yeah. I was not <laughs> awesome as a reliever in high school. I would love to be awesome as a reliever <laughs> in Major League Baseball. Um, but yeah, I, I think when you talk to or, or read quotes from people who watched may or watched the al central on a regular basis this is somebody who's who's very good uh i think sure there's potential there that he could be even better than what he's been over the last uh three seasons with the twins but even if he's just that that's fine yeah you know and while it's obviously more important what he does on the field, he seems like a really good guy off the field. He's a big Twitch streamer. 
He seems to have a good sense of humor. He has a strong Twitter presence. Those things are nowhere near as important as what he's like as a ball player. But it's always nice to find a guy like a Jerry Blevins, for instance. And it seems like the bullpen also breeds these kind of guys. The guys that are that are a little bit strange and a little bit fun. And those are the guys I really enjoy rooting for. So from just like a personal level, you know, I would much rather root for, you know, Trevor May than root for Jerry's Familia because of his past um, domestic domestic violence accusation. So, mm. um, you know, I am I am all for a a geeky Twitter user because I am a geeky Twitter user and I am <laughs> I, I am happy to root for Trevor May. So yeah, I think it's a fun signing. I think we should also mention the Mets picked up. We mentioned it briefly before Jacob Barnes off of waivers. And again, like 2020 is a weird blip. Look at his 2018, which he split between um, two teams, the Brewers and the Angels, I believe. You know, in 2018, he didn't pitch. I'm sorry, 20, 2019. I'm getting all my years mixed up here. You know, he um, he had a uh, you know a, a not great strikeout and walk rate. You know he 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 was a, he was an okay reliever. He was a journeyman, decent reliever. But again, this just seems like a a move that is that is in case in case of emergency, you know, break out Barnes, or you saw something in him that you liked, and maybe he can repeat that and be the the sixth or seventh guy on the depth chart out of the bullpen. I don't think it's a big move. I just feel like we should mention that the Mets did sign did pull him off waivers and sign him to a contract today. So, um, yeah, the Mets bullpen is going to be really interesting because I think last year we all saw a path for the Mets bullpen to be really good. And that path just didn't just never materialize once the season actually started. Yeah. And yeah, Barnes does have that, Three season stretch with the Brewers, <clears throat> that was pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not exactly betting on it happening again, but <laughs> you know that that's that's okay. If he's occupying a roster spot that somebody else should clearly take, then then we'll complain about that when we get there. But um, I, I think overall, Mets fans have been very uh, happy this off season. But I would definitely advise that we continue to just judge things as they happen and then uh, you know see how see how they actually play out. And so far, there's no reason not to be optimistic, which is nice. I also can't believe that next week we'll be the, we'll be talking about the winter meetings. Yeah, like that's happening <laughs> next week. You know, it's I can't believe we are there already. Yeah, no, me uh, me neither. Um. And so I, I guess we'll do a, maybe we'll do a show at the end of the winter meetings next week. Yeah, that would that would make sense. I I don't think they'll be particularly like blockbuster active, you know. Like what happens? <laughs> I'm I'm sure that the big reporters will still all have rumors and scoops and all that, but it's just funny that it's not happening in some hotel in like somewhere out west. And it'll just be like, does John Heyman or Ken Rosenthal get invited to a random Zoom? <laughs> As people are talking, like you can't you can't run into somebody on the internet when they're having private 
conversations on the internet. <laughs> right. Yeah. There, there's always that overheard in the lobby stuff. So, right. Um, yeah. It, it would be funny if they were like forced to be listen only participants in video meetings. <laughs> overheard in the Zoom waiting room. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, it's wild. It still doesn't feel right that it's dark at five o'clock. Uh, yeah, I know. You know, the way the way this year has shifted time on all of us, and baseball in particular, I think plays into that rhythm for for those of us who were so into it that a month into the baseball season, it was starting to get dark early, and then it ended, and we're already at this. Um, and overall, it hasn't really been cold in the area. You know, some cold days or nights here or there, but uh, to talk about winter meetings right now does not feel normal. And even talking about spring training feels weird since that was the last normal thing you and I did. That's true, yeah. And presumably we will not be doing because I doubt that either one of us will be uh, vaccinated and, and it may not even be safe even if we were to partake in that uh as, as soon as february or march of next year yeah yeah um which is a real shame i feel like last year was the first year, like I, I we talked about this on the on the pod but like i have multiple family members who are within the port st Lucie area and last year i went down on credentials and my kids are now old enough where i, I feel a little bit less guilty getting away for a couple of days and so i felt like all right this is the first of many years in a row of spring training and nope <laughs> so yeah oh well um do you have a music pick for us chris i do and it'll be very surprising to longtime listeners of the show um king gizzard and the lizard wizard put out a new record and i am recommending it uh <laughs> It's called KG, and technically it's KG um, Experimentations with uh, Microtonal Tuning, Volume 2. Um, that, that would be the full, complete title. Uh, but essentially it's King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard KG. That's what's on the front of the record in a large font. Um so in their prolific output over the last few years, they had done a record called Flying Microtonal Banana, where they each had a small budget to either obtain or build or whatever, a microtonal instrument. Um, and if you're not familiar with that, it, it's uh, basically, you know, out of Asian music, um, you have... A guitar it has extra little frets that might not be uniform at every point of the fretboard so you have these in between microtonal uh notes and you know it it, it sounds different than your standard instrument so they they had done this thing where they kind of challenged themselves to do do that stuff to get those instruments in place, write songs and, and make a record based on that. So this is the second record in that style. And it's like, it's, it's incredibly all over the place, but in, in a cohesive way. 
Um, so it's, it's, it's a good listen. There's a couple songs on it that I really love. Um, so far I enjoy it start to finish. And, uh, yeah, I just, I love the flexibility that they have. And, uh, I don't know. It, pretty much if you see they have a record coming out, it's probably going to be my music pick on this show, but <laughs> that's not a bad thing. Uh, and as a nice little bonus, they put out a live record from 2016, which was not the show that I first saw them at, but was part of the same, was in the same year as the first time I saw them. Um, so this, this one came out on the same day, uh, live in San Francisco, but pretty similar to, you know, the, uh, the experience that I had. So. Yeah, that was good. And on top of putting out those two records, uh, Stu of King Gizzard, who's the front man and sort of the musical genius uh, uh, and mastermind and lead guitarist, lead vocalist, all that stuff of the band, uh, had his first kid within the same 24-hour span that those two records were released, which is quite the end of a week. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and how about you? What's your music pick this week? So this is inspired by a conversation that you and I had on Slack the other day, which was um, about some upcoming live stream concerts that were happening. And I mentioned that Primus was doing a live stream concert. And uh, I started thinking about the last time I saw Primus live. And I saw them on the, the Antipop tour, which is their last tour before their long hiatus in the late 90s. But the first time I saw them was in 97 on the Brown Album Tour. And for the Brown Album, they replaced their drummer, Tim Herb Alexander, with Brian Brain Mantia. And um, they did two albums with Brain. And uh, I really don't like Antipop at all. It's a pretty terrible album. And I, I like almost everything Les Claypool's ever done. So for me to say that's a terrible album, that's a pretty terrible album. But the one before it, the Brown Album, it, it, it sounds really, it, it sounds like it was recorded in a barn it, it's really sort of uh, airy and sort of muffled in places. And it, it just sounds very analog and very, very um, like early to mid 70s kind of drum sounds on it. I really like the way the drum sounds on it. And it's also the Primus album that I, 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 I'm a bass player, but I'm not Les Claypool as a bass player. But the only Primus song I regularly play on the bass is called Kalamazoo, which is from the Brown album. And so. Um, that's my pick for this week. Uh, I, I think it's it's probably not regarded in the top tier of Primus records, and I don't know if I would even put it in the top tier. But I think it's 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 something that bands I think used to do more, and maybe should do more of, which is sometimes you just want to make an album that is kind of a cohesive statement, but isn't necessarily a career changing statement like i i don't think during this time they were like this is the new sound of primus listen to us evolve here they were like no we wanted to do this record that kind of was a little bit less less tight in the last couple it was a little bit looser a little bit rawer and i think it really works for that uh there's a song over the falls that i really adore it's an acoustic primus song which is a, a, a rare thing um uh duchess and the proverbial mind spread the aforementioned kalamazoo um Arnie, the final song. There's there's some really really great songs on it, and uh, I I I go through phases with Primus. I was a Primus like I was. I mean, I was in a fucking Primus cover band when I was in high school. Um, <laughs> I, I was I was a big time Primus guy then, and, and I I don't return to them all the time. But when I do, I I fall into these like 
six-week wormholes where all I listen to are, are Primus and Frog Brigade records. And so I'm excited for this upcoming uh, live stream and to prepare for it. I'm listening to an album they probably won't play a single thing from because Brain is no longer in the band and Herb is back. And so they probably won't play any of these songs, but that's okay. I'll still yeah, enjoy hey, listening to the Brown album. Uh, I'm going to give a quick bonus recommendation because there's a Les Claypool connection uh, and I, I am looking forward to that Primus live stream show as well. And thank you for giving me the heads up on it. No problem. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Les Claypool made a quick cameo appearance uh, last night. The Museum of Popular Culture in Seattle, MoPOP, um, honored Alice in Chains with an award. They honor a, a different, I think it's always a band or musician each year. Uh, but they honored them and put together this, uh, I, I guess usually it's a, a private in-person event and it's a big fundraiser for them, but given the reality of 2020, uh, they did a streaming show and a lot of bands recorded covers of Alice in Chains songs from wherever worked for them. Uh, Metallica did one where they were all in their own homes and appearing on like a, a Zoom grid. Um, some bands got together in person on their own, you know, and, and, and did songs that way. But there's a lot of really cool stuff in it. And I didn't realize it was going to be put on YouTube. So it, it is there. So if you just look at Mopop, Alice in Chains, it'll probably be the first thing that comes up. And there, there were a couple of performances by the current band, uh, which were very good. And, and on top of that, uh, a lot of either pop-ins by people like, Les Claypool, who were giving congratulations, uh, or really a bunch of covers that a lot of the, which were really well done. Uh, and the highlight for me among the covers was Fishbone playing them bones because one, oh, I, appreci- I appreciate a good pun, and two, they they killed it. They were so good. Um, so that was awesome. Chris Cornell's daughter uh, played a piano cover of one of the songs that was on the first record when Alice in Chains reformed uh, and and made a new album. Uh, the last song was a ballad that on the record, the piano was played by Elton John and Jerry Cantrell. It was really a sort of a, 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 a love song to his lost friend, Lane Staley, um, to, to close that record out, which is a heavy song. And hearing Chris Cornell's daughter sing it and, and sing it beautifully um, with the tragic way that his life ended and knowing that the song is about somebody whose life also came to a tragic end from that same music scene. Um, it was, it was pretty powerful. So it was that, that it's a bonus recommendation. It's not an album, but there's some cool covers in there. Wide variety of performers who uh, contributed to it and, uh, I, I think it was just cool to hear uh, those songs through different voices and instruments and and formats um, and just sort of realize how great a lot of the songwriting that that band has done uh, ha- has been, you know, over, over the decades they've existed. So, yeah, Les Claypool brought me on that tangent, but... That's all right. That was a that was a fun tangent. I, I I meant to check it out last night and I didn't, didn't get a chance to. So that's definitely a good thing to check out in the next couple of days. Yeah. So, 
Well, folks, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Like I said, we'll return next week with the winter meeting special at some point. I'm sure if the Mets go out and sign Real Muto or something, we'll put together some sort of Mason Avenue podcast in the moment. But if not, you'll hear from us at the end of the week. Please go to AmazingAvenue.com for all sorts of Mets news and analysis. And uh, we had made the the predictions this week that it would be good for the Mets to maybe part ways with Mats and Gazelman. So we're not always right, but that's okay. <laughs> um, you know, we're trying our best here. And uh, we we hope you follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. You can check out this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, you can find us. I'm on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. He's on Twitter at Chris McShane. And until next time, let's go Mets.